My agent called, he said he got some interest in my script I'm glad I didn't tell him that I never finished it I got my cast of characters and outline for the plot I even got a famous classic case of writer's block Get it out of my head 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 Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Welcome to On the Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting. My name is Pilar Alessandra, and I'm the instructor and script consultant here at On the Page. Joining me as podcast producer is my husband, Pat Francis. Hello, Pat. Hi, honey. <laughs> no. What? No, I don't like it. Hi, sweetie. Oh, God. All right. How are you today? Good, good, good. <laughs> and congratulations on your, on your San Francisco Sketchfest success with Sammy Hagar. Thank you. We had Sammy Hagar on our podcast. And it was live. There were about live. 300 people in the yep. audience. Mm-hmm. Sammy loved it. Loved it. He, Made us some cocktails. Yeah. Signed everyone's stuff that they brought up after the show. Took pictures. It's very, very cool. Chris Isaac came just to watch the show. Oh, Chris Isaac. Oh, my yep. God. Oh, my God. I'm still... Yeah. Not fun. fair. Not fair. So find that on iTunes or over at uh, art19.com. Yeah, check it out. Check it out. So congratulations, Pat. Thank you. We have with us um, uh, fantastic guest, Meredith Burke. Hello, Meredith. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Uh, Meredith is sitting across from me. She's just smiling. <laughs> you know, she's like ready to go. I'm ready. That's, she's I'm listened so to a couple on the page episodes. I'm very excited about that. Thank you. Love them all. Love them all. Can't wait to hear the rest of them, actually. There's a lot of them. Good luck. <laughs> I'm going to regret saying that. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, if you binge listen to this show, like, you'd really never leave the house. It's it's years and years of... She said that? What, what are they talking about? <laughs> I can't believe she stutters. You know, I kind of want to take notes, like, while I'm listening, too, which is probably just going to make it take even longer. I think you just you'd put a, an arrow through your head after a while. <laughs> um, Meredith Burke is an award-winning writer and director. Dementia, her first feature script to hit theaters, was produced by Boulder Light Pictures and released by IFC Midnight. It was selected as the New York Times Critics Pick of the Week. New York Times, <laughs> New York freaking Times, yeah. Um, and it's available on iTunes, Amazon, and on demand. But wait, I've only just begun with Meredith's very impressive credits. <clears throat> Meredith yes. also wrote the hit digital series, Lana Steele, Makeup Spy, which like, <laughs> cracks me up. I love it. Um, and she wrote this for Estee Lauder Cosmetics. It's starring YouTube sensation Lily, Lily Singh. Mm-hmm. Lily Singh. Yeah. Um, and uh, my daughter, my 15-year-old, had definitely heard of Lily Singh. Oh, yeah. She's um, a huge star in the YouTube is. world. She is. It currently, um, your, your uh, digital series has over 6 million views. Mm-hmm. Um, Meredith also adapted. Let's, let's now go from YouTube to off-Broadway Shakespeare. She, <laughs> she also adapted and directed the off-Broadway update of Julius Caesar for the York Shakespeare Company in New York. Also, just in case you're thinking, can this girl be this perfect? Oh, yeah, there's more. Because she also has experience story editing comic books. Mm -hmm. That's right, Mm -hmm. guys. Comic books. (laughs) Um, And most recognizably, the graphic novel for Cowboys and Aliens. That's right. Man, you are just like (laughs) everywhere. But there does seem to be... Um, a consistent hit with genre. Mm-hmm. It, it feels mm-hmm. like you know you can you can say these are all very specific genres. So is that something that you're attracted to? Definitely. I think you I think you can find that through all of my work. And I also think that even though some things seem disparate, they do inform each other. Like I think my work in horror is totally inspired by the work I've done in musical theater. I think there's very much a rhythm to horror, and all the theater experience just fills right into that. So it's a, a little bit of sort of that, that break for the song, break for the dance, mm-hmm. right? The heightened emotion. Sure, sure, sure. Really and playing with the audience and guiding them through the journey. Tell me, tell me more, Meredith Berg. <laughs> I want to know, know about your take on thriller, especially, because dementia mm-hmm. is a thriller. It's mm-hmm. a contained thriller, and it builds beat by beat toward a reveal. Mm-hmm. Um, not always an easy task. Yeah. Um, what, what's your approach to it? Um, I'm a big outliner. Mm -hmm. I'm a huge fan of outlining. And um, this is something where 
I was a work for hire. So obviously the outline was a big part of the steps for the producer as well. Uh, when I sat down with the producers, uh, with Rafi and JD, they pitched me the idea of an old man who gets a stroke and uh, suffers dementia as a result and his estranged family hires someone to live in the house to take care of him because they don't really want to get too involved. And of course, that person in the house may or may not be trying to kill him. That happens. It happens. That's, that's <laughs> what's happening in our house right now. <laughs> it's tough, I, but we've all I, been through it. I am fearing for my life every second of the day. <laughs> These women I live with. Here, Pat, have your scrambled eggs. Well, no, thank hmm. you. Is that a razor blade? Yeah, because the producers originally pitched the nurse as a man, and I was like, no, 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 no. Well, good for you. Yeah. Good for you. <laughs> it's much scarier if it's this, this, this woman who seems like she's just there to like, has this calling to heal people, but mm-hmm. maybe there's something more to her, but it's not obvious. You know, she's not a physical threat. And what I liked about it too, is that if you're in that stage, you know, if you're, if you're older, if you have dementia, you're going to say things like that nurse is trying to kill me. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and who's going to believe you. Right. And I, I thought that that sort of set up a really credible reason why he's not getting any help for so long. Um, But how do you keep the reveal Mm -hmm. uh, away from from the audience as as much as possible? That is always the trick. And my favorite thing to do when I do a thriller is to have the twist behind the twist or the reveal behind the reveal. Um, So when they pitched me that idea, I said, "I, I can see the whole movie. I can see how it progresses. I'm always more interested in horrors and thrillers where the protagonist is at least somewhat at fault. Mm-hmm. If there's this overriding sense of guilt that maybe holds them back at first or something they have to get over and, and forgive themselves for, like, don't go in the woods, and you go in the woods. Mm-hmm. It's, you start the horror. And uh, we talked about it, and so that led to a lot of discussion of the backstory of George, not to give everything away about Right, George. right, right. And um, the idea is you have the sort of, the, 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 the person that you're trying to figure out that's really obvious that you're trying to figure out, meaning it's the person that you think the movie wants you to figure out. And behind that, there are little clues that there's something else happening that by the end all add up. And you weren't looking over there, you were looking over here. So that's, I think, the best way. Because people, when they see a thriller, the first thing they're going to try and do is figure it out. Right. That's Absolutely. always going to be what happens. I did. I stopped yeah. it at a certain point and I went, Pat, it's going to be about this. I was <laughs> completely wrong, yeah. by the way. Okay, okay. But, uh, Sometimes thrillers do the opposite thing too, where they let the audience know who the bad person is. And then, so now, you know, so you get all keyed up mm-hmm. the whole time knowing, oh my God, that person's there with the bad guy. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I don't know what the, I mean, I'm not saying one's better or worse. I'm just, I'm just talking just to. <laughs> no, no, no. no it's the, the two different, was it yeah. Hitchcock said the two different times, yeah. but suspense versus <clears throat> shock or something yes, like yes, that. Yes, yes, yes. And so it, knowing the, the dramatic irony of knowing more mm-hmm. than your character, there, there's, there's stuff to mine from that. But I think we live in an age where you kind of have to use both because yeah. everyone's so savvy. Right, they are. And like you said, they're, they're guessing. And what I like about the personal backstory coming out too and being, un, it, you've got a double reveal. Like mm-hmm. you said, it's, we're figuring out who did it or what's going to happen. Okay, that's we've got that. But then to have that extra twist of what's underneath it all and not be expecting that, that's great. Mm-hmm. And when people are talking about character development, you know, <laughs> that's one way to go. Why should somebody remain a victim? Mm-hmm. You know, let's let's see that other side of it. And yeah. it enriches and, and deepens too if it's not just one person's goal that's driving everything, that there's, you know, um, an interlacing of things that, that bring these characters together for more than one reason. Definitely. Right. So you've got the, in this one, you've got a college girl mm-hmm. who is the granddaughter mm-hmm. um, and starts to emerge mm-hmm. as what we think might be the hero, mm-hmm. which I thought was also really cool mm-hmm. that, Thank you know, you. you're, you're watching him and then suddenly she sort of comes up through the ranks. And if you think about thriller and horror movie, we do see this a lot, whether it's the first alien or whether it's a horror movie where everybody gets killed and finally it comes down to where you go, oh, th- that last person standing, that's the hero. I didn't really realize she was mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. the whole time. Right. Um, and, uh, and interestingly, I don't know, I just said she, and I think it is because it's often a female character. And the final girl. The right. Final girl yeah. Thing. Yeah. Which makes it something you're, you know, we're still surprised. We're like, Oh, (laughs) I was on on him. (laughs) Naturally. You know, in in some of those movies too, like I'm thinking of Friday the 13th, the original, it Mm -hmm. it comes down to a girl, Mm -hmm. but the guys are such 
idiots in some of those movies. So mm. you're like, obviously, the guys are going to all get killed. But we still fall for it every time. We do. You're still like eye yeah. on the potential mm-hmm. hero so that it's still, you know, I yeah. think eventually we'll, we'll catch on. But for now, we're still like, oh, yeah. wow, look, it's her. And well, I think also in, in, in horror and thriller, um, sometimes it comes down to a final girl because just our culture, sexism, or or just how how we look at these things, we think she has a harder chance of winning. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and she might be, you know, smaller or, you know, less less scary than, than like than that guy. You might think, oh, he can handle himself. Yeah. But when you take that guy out and it's just this girl who just happened to be the girlfriend along for the ride, you're like, she's, she's in trouble. She's in serious trouble. And you're more worried for her. And I think some of with, with George, I think you always have to think of why can't this person, why are we going to be scared for this person? Mm-hmm. And with George, obviously playing with the whole mythology, I call it mythology, but you know, the rules of dementia, mm-hmm. um, what he can and can't do, how well he can think through something makes you scared for him in the way you're scared for, you know, um, Rosemary's baby. You're scared for her cause she's pregnant. Right. She's, she's at a disadvantage. Um, and he's at a disadvantage for that. So I think sometimes that's why it's a final girl, but I think you always kind of have to find that reason that we're scared for that person. So, Let's go to something completely different, yeah. which is Lana Steele makeup spy, <laughs> oh, <laughs> which yeah. is like, again, it, it cracks me up. It's like she, she saves the world, right? Mm-hmm. By taking on new personas with every, with her change with in makeup, makeup change, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's something that we kind of talked about in the, uh, rock solid mashup when Chris, Christy was talking about where her web series is going to go. Right. And she talked about the fact that she is now has to integrate products, products yeah. in, and she was trying to figure out how to do this. And this yours is a <clears throat> great example of that. Right. Thank so, you. so you've got Estee Lauder, They've hired you to write and direct, mm-hmm. I assume. Yes. And then, so, so what was the directive and what did you do from there? Well, uh, again, it was a, an idea that, that, that came to me that I just sparked to and, and couldn't wait to get involved in. Um, both Dementia and Lana Steele Makeup Spy um, were work for hire and with the intention of having to get it done as soon as possible because the money was contingent on a start date. Both. And so I think I wrote Dimension about three weeks. Okay. Wow. And Lana Steel Makeup Spy ended up being about 84 pages, uh, 12 episodes. And I wrote that in six days. Wow. Um, because when the, in the web world, I'm, you're probably familiar from other people who have come in, things happen very fast once the client says yes. And otherwise they move on. Like things have to go so fast and be edited so fast and put up so fast. Um, so again, like the, the female producers they they said they have this pro woman idea for something for, for teenage girls to kind of aspire to, which I really like the idea. And, um, and they had a collection of four or five directors actually in total that split up the episodes and four out of the five were women, including mm-hmm. me. And, uh, I really loved just the idea of that. And then they pitched me, it's a spy who uses Estee Lauder makeup to transform herself for missions. <laughs> That's brilliant. That's brilliant. And so that's, that's really kind of why the, the idea came to me. And, and I, I kind of discussed with them how it would be basically alias with mascara. <laughs> and it grew from there. What was one of the most creative uh, ways that she used the makeup to transform herself? Um, well, one of the... One of, this is, this is a, a detail that I really love is uh, to kind of make the makeup more spy-like. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are sound effects that are kind of like gun, guns cocking like when she opens the lipstick. Oh, that's neat. <laughs> <laughs> Just like little ways to make it like a sassy, sexy, cool, yeah. um, uh, uh, empowered version of using the makeup that they are her sci-fi tools. That's cool. Yeah. But when she puts on the makeup, does she become another person every single time or is she still Lana Steele and she's just sort of taking on the kind of makeup that would, would integrate into whatever situation she's in? She's basically going undercover in each episode. Okay. So the makeup has to make her pass when she goes amongst villains who might recognize her as the number one spy. Gotcha. You know, <laughs> I was pretty in the last episode, but I'm really differently pretty here. <laughs> exactly. It took a lot of research for um, makeup tutorials. Oh, really? I used a lot of Pinterest because there's just so many things on Pinterest where they're like, here's the perfect prom look. Here's the perfect goth look. Here's the perfect um, Tokyo look. Wow. Things like that. And so my first goal was I need 12 looks. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have to have story reasons. Like she puts on a goth um, 
makeover because she is infiltrating a goth club to follow someone. So did, did the co- you go, oh, there's a goth look. Did the look come first and that inspired the story? The look came first because first and foremost, Estee Lauder had to sign off on all the makeovers. Got it. So you, then you go, okay, if, what would you need for a goth look? Okay, maybe she's in a goth club. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what would happen in a goth club? And sort of brainstorm that way. Exactly. It, it very much um, informed the story. I mean, I, always, I knew the ending from the beginning. I knew, um, the, I knew the, the pilot and I knew the ending. And it was very much like each episode basically was a clue to get her closer to the end. And where the clue was or who had it or who she had to chase was determined by the makeup of that week. Cool. So would you, uh, would you say that the, the episodes are contained in their own right, even without watching from the beginning to end? Or should, is this something where you really need to watch from beginning to end? It's almost completely serialized. There's one episode. The episodes I directed was episode four, mm-hmm. which is a standalone um, called The Wedding. Or actually it's called, <laughs> is it, oh yeah, Here Guns the Bride. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. <laughs> I'm like, what was my final title? Yeah. And then, um, and I directed the two part finale. Um, so except for episode four, they're all serialized. And how long are these each one? Seven minutes each. Yeah. That's a nice, that's, that's cool. Yeah, that's right. Cool. Well, it's funny. We thought that was plenty because I mean, a few years back, back when I worked in comic books and we were looking at ways to have digital comics and web shows about comics. And the big thinking back then was never have anything over four minutes. No one will watch. Sure. That was like the rule you can't break. And so seven minutes I thought was, was pretty ambitious. And then all the little fans, I say little because they're teenagers, mm-hmm. all the teenage fans would say, how come these are only seven minutes? Lily's you know, monologue personal videos that she does are 10. I feel ripped off. <gasps> really? Oh, wow. Yeah. So it became like, so you've also got somebody who's also branded herself on YouTube and they're looking at it also as an extension of her stuff. Mm-hmm. And so... They want it to have, I see. Yeah. That's interesting. I was shocked that they would watch so much. They mm-hmm. will watch the whole show, you know, on their phone, 84 ah. minutes on their phone. But what, wow. the, what these kids also don't realize is when, when, uh, the actress is in her room doing her video, that doesn't really cost that much. Yes. They don't realize that. <laughs> but the budget of these seven minute action Estee Lauder <laughs> yeah. action packed, uh, uh, episodes, costs a lot more money. I say maybe yes. a little Kickstarter with teenagers. Would you like to see 10 minutes next time? Oh, Here they you would go. Easily, I, these kids parents. would easily pay the money, you know, like for, for if it were a feature yeah. release. I think there's the wild, wild west of, of web entertainment. There's a lot that can be done there, especially because it's so immediate. There's not right. the same oversight from a studio. You just go, 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 go. And the audience is there. And I think it's about to become a huge uh, medium. Oh, sure. You know, the both of our girls just spend all their time watching things on they YouTube. They do. They watch, uh, they, they watch YouTube and, and more than they watch TV. Definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Which means we're always sort of checking in. It's also funny. Yeah. <laughs> hey, what you doing? Before we, before we had kids, we would always say, well, they, they'll never have a TV in their room. No way. And now <laughs> right. I'm like, well, they, 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 they do. do have they do have yeah. a TV. They, oh, excuse me. You going to sneeze? <laughs> Bless Sorry. you. <laughs> Bless you. Pilar sneezes at 17 minutes. <laughs> Is that how you know where to, where to cut that out? Yeah. There we go. All right. I'm not cutting that out. <laughs> this is reality. Yeah. This is how we get real. Yeah, that doesn't, it didn't stop the show. <laughs> um, so you, you got to direct it too. So uh, are you, do you have the directing bug now? Is, do you oh, want to actually, direct everything um, you do? Um, my degree is in directing. Oh, cool. um, I, as you saw um, from, or as you were speaking of in the bio, um, I directed theater originally. I went to NYU Tisch uh, School of the Arts for directing and acting in theater. That and is hard to get into, people. <laughs> people who don't know that, it's really hard to get into that, that, that program. So, yeah. wow. Uh, I think it's even, even harder now than it was when I was there. I think I obsessively, because they send you the numbers when they, when they let you in, and I obsessively looked up, like, did the number crunching? And I think it was something like 12% acceptance rate. Now I, I bet it's like five wow, or something. I bet you're right. It's crazy. But I started really thinking I was going to do Broadway my whole life. I mm-hmm. loved Broadway. Um, I just wanted to do theater. 
And uh, I didn't really understand the appeal of film because I just go to films with my family and be like, you know, an Eddie Murphy comedy or something like that's what I thought film was. And then uh, I started kind of helping the film students out with their homework because they'd come up to me and they'd say, hey, I hear you're really good with actors. Do you think you could help me in my homework? And I would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds cool. I've never, you know, done stuff with the camera. Let's do it. And he says, all I, you know, all you got to do is, is tell them what to do and tell them how to say things and, and here's the script and I'll set up the cameras. You don't have to worry about any of that. I was like, oh, that's easy. I can do that. And I started doing more and more guys' homework (laughs) 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 until I realized, I think I'm learning the words on set and you're really kind of more of a director of photography. (laughs) Got it. And I think I'm doing your homework for you. And that actually was a a huge breakthrough for me because it was such a different world in my mind. I didn't know I could do it. And so doing those little things. And then for me, the big, the big change was seeing Terry Gilliam's cut of Brazil. Really? And for me, I had never thought that you could be symbolic in mm-hmm. film. I didn't think that you could play with metaphor and themes and all these things that I loved about theater. And I was like, oh, you can do all that and more money and a post process. Sure. Sure. <laughs> Fixing some post. Right. Exactly. <laughs> can't do that in you Otherwise you just have to like sit there and like cringe. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, and so I, you know, I, I kept up with directing theater in New York and then I did some stuff in, in um, England and every so often I'll direct a play out here in the NoHo arts district. But my heart changed then to film. And when I came out here, uh, I worked as a producer for a while for Endgame Entertainment. Um, I produced a horror movie there, and then I went into the comic books as someone who would bring comic books to film and TV. And, uh, and after that, I went to uh, AFI, the Directing Workshop for Women program. Mm-hmm. Which is, again, very hard to get into. It's, it was an awesome, awesome program. At the time, it was also a grant, so you had money that you could go to grad school for free for a year and have money to make a short film. And there's eight women you know, every year, so you, get really, you really bond and help each other out. And I made a short film through that that Tribeca released and, and uh, went on to get my manager from there who put me up for dementia and Lana Steele. Very nice. She is, you are clearly a triple threat in your own way. <laughs> um, uh, so you mentioned working well with actors. Mm-hmm. So how does... And I think this is, this is helpful for writers, too, because they have to figure out what to put into a script that a director can lift off mm-hmm. of the page to help uh, an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you like to see or write in a script that you know will help a director direct an actor? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I, I know that uh, many people have said this before, and it is true. It's, it's very distracting to read camera camera direction in a script. Mm-hmm. Um, I normally just start, you know, lining it out. Right. <laughs> and uh, um, I scared the crap out of a writer once that I was talking to when I said in theater school, one of my favorite ways that you kind of delve into directing a scene is you really look at every period, you play every period, you play every, every beat, you play every comma, you play every exclamation point as written. Um, you know, don't try and outthink it. Play, if it's a period, play the period. Sure. And, uh, and he... Uh, almost had a little nervous breakdown hearing that because he said, oh, they really pay attention that much to where... I, it's like, yes, we pay, pay yeah. attention to every piece of punctuation. Think of, uh, think of how your punctuation is going to affect the rhythm of the dialogue. That's extremely important, I think. Well, also, you, you, know, you adapted Shakespeare, and that's something integral for, for portraying Shakespeare is that you have to understand mm-hmm. that every space is on purpose on purpose, mm-hmm. right? That's why exactly. you understand that like, you learn the rhythms mm-hmm. of, of Shakespeare, not just uh, the meanings. And I it. think Shakespeare is great training for comedy mm-hmm. uh, because just like one of, the, one of the ways you can break down good Shakespeare acting versus bad Shakespeare acting is good Shakespeare acting, often they will pitch up at the end of a line until you actually hit a period. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like to be or not to be, that is the question, whether tis noble, you know, you don't go, that is the question. Right. Why that is and then, you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> instead, instead of like ending down at the end of every line. And in comedy, you'll see in sitcoms, most of the comedy comes from ending really high. Oh. You know, <laughs> that's way funnier. Or just going from really, really high to really, really low. Hmm. That's funnier. And um, I think if you can understand that, 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 you know, characters need to be pitching all over the place for comedy, then that can really help you as a comedy writer. And again, if there's no... If there's no period, you're not playing it. You, you continue it. on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is really something that, that writers should know, right? Uh, I like the fact that you're saying what it, what's 
in the script is important. It's the guide. Right. I mean, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. So if you are adding like close up on or whatever, that's not going to be helpful because yeah. the director is going to interpret what's there. It doesn't help the actor, right? So it's got to be something that forces you to go close up. Mm-hmm. Um, so what would make you want to do a close up on an actor without it saying close up? I think, um, uh, and this is just kind of a first response, so it might be kind of a surface response, but the action writing mm-hmm. of, um, if you can read something that clearly um, is an insert, for instance, um, he focuses on the pill bottle. Okay, so if it's it, open, right? So like, okay, well, that's now you need that close, <laughs> right? Right. So if the if the actor is looking at that pill mm-hmm. bottle mm-hmm. and it's open, then we have to go there. Or yeah. if you just write the pill bottle, you know, lies open, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. The the the, the uh, camera has to go there. Or I read a I uh, I wrote a feature um, about a woman who has face blindness, and uh, it's a thriller, and uh, so she sees the same face on every person, which is an actual brain trauma disorder and uh, when she starts becoming harassed by a stalker she does not know who he is he could be a neighbor or it could be him mm-hmm. and so there's a lot of in my in my action writing there is a lot of he cracks his knuckles mm-hmm. she remembers that mm-hmm. or he scuffs his shoes her neighbor doesn't scuff his shoes you know things like that and I think by looking through your protagonist's view, you can direct the camera in your writing. Because obviously, if that's a clue, you need to show it. And also cracking knuckles that is active as opposed to close up on knuckles, close exactly. up on shoes. Like, exactly. what is he actually doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it also, you can, you can hear it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. too. That's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. <laughs> I kind of never thought of it as so much like writing guides as I did think of it as like, well, the actors will read this and know that they need to hit that point. But now that you now that you ask it like that, then it makes a lot of sense as it being a writing guide. Okay, so I'm going to leap over to comic books for a <laughs> second, which I, I have, I'm always really bad about asking. The story editing comic books, most recognizably the graphic novel for Cowboys and Aliens. <laughs> so we had another, um, we had a, an, another editor of, of uh, comic books on the show, uh, Jonathan Vankin, uh, editor for DC Comics, and he was trying to explain what an editor does in, in comic books. Tell me again, tell me your, your uh, what, say, what does all that mean? I would say it's most similar to a film producer. Okay. Um, as an, as an editor, as a story editor and an editor, um, we often would, uh, throw around ideas in the story department, um, might even come up with a, a, a bit of an outline for a writer. And then we'd talk to writers, you know, interview writers who had read it and said, I, I think this is how it would break down into four issues, because uh, four issues is the minimum. And what we would do is really treat issue one like act one, uh, issue two and three like the two halves of act two, and the fourth issue as act three, which my work there really, really drove structure into me in a way that was very useful, especially coming from more of a theater background. Mm-hmm. That was extremely helpful. But you, you interview the writers, you, you pick the writer. They go off and write, um, just like you would as a producer picking a writer for a, for a feature or something. And uh, when they come back, you give them story notes. And then once the script is ready, you uh, send it to your you know, first choice of a, of a, color, not a colorist, uh, of a, an artist, and as, uh, as I would get in the art, it comes in uh, first in pencils, kind of like really, really rough sketches, um, which mostly show you camera angles, for lack of a better term, because you can see if it's a close-up or if you can see if it's a wide, because um, you can see how big the little stick figure is, <laughs> like the little scratch figure is. And from there, you basically approve of, oh, no, this feels like we need to have a wider angle here. This feels like we need to have um, really on their faces for these panels. You're really kind of directing the camera angles and then once that's approved, they actually start doing the real work of filling it in with, this, with the pencils, then the inks, then the colors. And every step of the way, you're giving notes. Wow. Yeah. And that's, that, that, that would teach you an awful lot about film directing and, and, and screenwriting, mm-hmm. as you said, because of the, the structural beats. How long uh, from the time you start a comic book until it hits the newsstand? What is the pro- what's the process? To me, it sounds like years. <laughs> it can take a long time. Cowboys and Aliens took several years. Wow. Um, and, uh, and, and part of it, you know, sometimes you, you work with different artist houses and you have to send back work. And then maybe if you end up 
going to a different house, you might have to start over with certain pages. Um, because some artists can, can ape other artists' styles, and, and if they can't, you have to start over, because all of a sudden it's like, everyone looks different. Right. <laughs> um, so that one took several years. I guess in a perfect world, if you're paying a professional rate, which I believe um, makes a graphic novel end up costing between twenty five dollars and $40,000, um, you're paying around... 100 or 200 a page for the writer and between 300 and 500 a page for the artist. Wow. Now, okay, so Cowboys and Aliens film adaptation aside, mm-hmm. okay, because that was adapted, mm-hmm. okay, if you now as a screenwriter were going to look at uh, a comic book or, or a graphic novel, how would you go about adapting it into a feature? Because that is something that a lot of people are thinking about. You know, I love this particular comic book. I would love to adapt it into a feature. What would they do? I think it depends on the um, size of the fan base and, um, and the art. Uh, certainly something like 300 I thought was an amazing adaptation. And you could see that Zack Snyder really took Frank Miller's art. Um, there are moments in the movie that are exact, like you could take a snapshot of it and it's exactly an, a panel in the book. So I think if you're going to take either a beloved comic book or one where the art is what drew you to it, that's, that sets your tone, that sets your colors, that sets um, the feel you know, of, of the whole film and you really kind of have to be true to that. So setting up the world, you need the specificity that you see in the comic book. Mm-hmm. And a lot of uh, art differences in comics really has to do with shading and uh, which, which tones of color you're playing with. Um, obviously, 300 had a lot of red and black and a lot of shadows. So a lot of things were just silhouette at points. So that means if you're going to be honoring that style, um, if you're inspired by that style and you want to appeal to the fans of that style, you need to plan your lighting to be silhouette, very um, iconic um, very but, gritty, but that's how you direct it in yeah. the writing of it. Oh, the writing in of the it. writing of it. Like, okay, so let's that's let's go question. to let's go to dialogue for a second because mm-hmm. this is where I. This is one of the reasons I don't read comic books, and everybody's going to be like, "You're a snob." But every time I do, I have a, a little bit of a hard time with the fact that comic books sometimes have to be really direct mm. in order to. It feels like they're a little more on the nose mm. than the kind of style that I like in in screenwriting. Now, I could be completely wrong, and I'm sure I'm sure there's a million examples of me being wrong. Um, but is there is there something you would have to do with the dialogue that would be if you're adapting a comic book? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's say there's just one panel of information. Mm-hmm. Do you have to spread that out over a couple of scenes? Do you? What would you That's change? a great question because um, it's funny. My, 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 my sister works in publishing and I was telling her one of the difference between writing novel and writing screenplay is screenplay is the haiku of mm-hmm. the novel. Everything yeah. is just so boiled down and you only have so much space, but you have to really make it um, impactful <laughs> in that small space. And I think comic writing is the haiku of, of screenwriting because if you have two sentences, that's long. That's mm-hmm. really long yeah. in the panel. So you have to really boil it down. And I think that's why sometimes they get a little pulpy, you mm-hmm. know, a little on the nose. So um, I think uh, there are some things that there, it, it, there's such a range of different styles. You know, you have your Sin City where so much of the movie is exactly the dialogue, but yeah. Frank Miller has long dialogue in his panels. It can take up an entire panel. Um, so it's not your typical um, comic book uh, style. So I think... I think uh, you definitely have to find, what I would do is I would find the voice of the character from how it's written. And um, when I like to write, I kind of let characters improv in my head. Um, As an actor, I love doing improv. And I just kind of follow along what they're saying. And then I go back and edit it out for, you know, make it finessed. So I think the best thing you can do is get into the idea of the character, really the head of the character, using the dialogue from the comic book. And then just kind of like listen to them talk for a while in your head and follow that and then let that kind of be your guide more than lifting and copying and pasting. That makes sense because if you're thinking, okay, that, that dialogue there expresses the intention mm-hmm. of this scene. Now my character gets to sort of talk his way through the scene if he wants to. Mm-hmm. And I have this voice in my head. Now what would he say to get to this place or to, to, to convey the direct? Right. Like what feels true to his voice mm-hmm. or her voice? And you let that be your guide, I bet. Cool. Cool. Would you say, you know how you said um, with uh, a graphic novel that you've got like these issues, act one, this, this, these issues, act two, and so on. Would that be a good way to 
uh, structure out the movie version of a of a graphic novel adaptation, or doesn't it always go that way because they tend to be so so epic? Um, that depends um, largely on the on the the story arc size because mm-hmm. uh, you have some story arcs like Civil War. Let's say it's like Marvel um, story arcs. Uh, I think a big difference between Marvel comics and DC comics is that DC comics, detective comics, they're procedural in, in, in kind of history and nature. Hmm. Everyone's like almost always a reporter or a cop or a doctor, and they have cases of the week. And Marvel, I think that their bread and butter was these long serial stories like Secret Invasion and Civil War. Um, and when you have that, you don't just have several graphic novels in a story. You sometimes have offshoots. Like there will be... Um, uh, Captain America Civil War and then you'll have Iron Man Civil War and you'll have Spider-Man Civil War so these are like might be offshoots that star one person in particular but are still in the Civil War storyline mm-hmm. so I think if you have a huge storyline like that it really is about okay how many movies are you going to take to, t- to tell it and, um, and then you kind of have those several movies are your three act structure <laughs> in a way um, and then if you have something smaller like a lot of ours were were adapted to be ready for film. And so they already had the three-act structure in it. But I think you're never going to be 100% true to any source material when you adapt it for some other medium. I think whether it's a book or a comic book, there's always like, it's what works for a comic book may not be the exact same thing that works for a film. Sure. And we very much had that in mind, that we're doing what's right for the comic book here, and then when we pitch as a film, we do what's right for it as a film. How about a... Uh, comic, uh, a Shakespearean comic book stage <laughs> musical uh, thriller. How about oh, that? That sounds awesome. Should so, we, like, it's a little, a little like a, a Macbeth, but done more like <laughs> 300 and uh, Baz Luhrmann directing. There she Sure, <laughs> sure. On stage. <laughs> On stage. On stage. Yeah. You get to be like that. Uh, what was the Anna Karenina? Did you see that with Kira Knightley? No, I never no. did. Part of it is on stage and then the actors will come off the stage and they'll open the doors and they'll go into a house and you'll treat it like it's a real house that they're really living in. Did that work? It was very visually interesting. I thought it was really, really cool. I think um, story-wise, there was like some, some confusion maybe, but for, for me, um, it, was, it felt like a really, really great directorial conceit with maybe not the strongest um, script that it was it was <laughs> sitting on. <laughs> so, so as somebody who has you know, roots in musical theater mm-hmm. on stage and is a movie director and writer, do you want to sometime do a movie musical? I would love to do a movie musical. What would you I, like to adapt that hasn't been on, on screen yet? One thing that hasn't been done but I loved for a long time is um, working. Oh, uh, uh, Stuzzterkel, right? The one with Stuzzterkel. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. And those are all, those are all monologues. Um, just and it's God. It goes back to what the seventies. Yeah, I think so. It's yeah, yeah, seventies. I think so. And he basically, it's from uh, a book where he did interviews with everyone from all sorts of different, you know, white collar, blue collar, different jobs, interviewing them about their job. And so there are a lot of like monologues and songs about I'm a waitress and this is what my life is like and. That would be so cool to do as a movie musical. Do you think that you would expand to actually show the things that they're talking about? Because, I mean, it is all monologues, so they're not just going to stand there and sing. Um, So so you could kind of do an Altman-esque kind mm-hmm. of thing, right? Yes. Where you where you sort of expand it. They're, they're all individual stories. They're all in the same city, but yeah. they're all like the different levels of the city that are all on top of each other, you know? Your waitress is working in the restaurant underneath the stockbroker's office. You know, everyone interacts, but then you can kind of see their own. This is what I would do anyway. And then I think maybe you have some sort of supernatural almost esque figure, but um your uh your Nick in the Great Gatsby, your 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 um narrator, your guide mm-hmm. who you constantly see connecting all of them and who's aware of it and no one else is of course aware that they're in it. That's cool. Maybe that would be the uh, the elevator operator or the uh the mm, doorman of that's the building. A great idea. <laughs> or the doorman at the building. He sees everyone go by and yeah. And no one realizes they're being watched, right. and they're all going around their lives. That's a really good idea. A idea. The elevator operator might take us back to the well, you know, back in the forties, well, you know. <laughs> going up. Yeah. Hey, I've, 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 I've been in I've been in some uh, buildings recently that have had them. You're lying. No, I, I actually have been. Do you sometimes just go into an elevator and pretend to be the elevator operator? Because that's very yeah, much but I can a see Pat myself Francis in the, thing to I do. can see myself in the mirror of the elevator, so I just assume that I was working there. <laughs> 
I love that. And, the, I mean, the doorman. You could play with like, yeah. Totally work. The doorman. That's right. They'll yeah. see everyone come and go. And, come and go. Right. Or you know, it could be a person that you're like, is that person real? Would, ghost. Would yeah, you true. would you update it if you if you did? It's funny. It's it feels completely updated. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like a waitress. You know the waitress thing and and the, and the cleaning women song and all those things. They there you wouldn't have to change a thing. How kind of sad is that? You Isn't know what I mean. That we still have sort of the yeah the, the same conflicts in job that there are certain jobs that just haven't. Haven't, haven't changed better. in yeah. decades and decades. And Except the stockbroker might leave the building not from the front door. <laughs> he might leave it from a window. <laughs> oh. Well, <laughs> put a little darkness in it. Oh, yeah. I think they, they play with that darkness a lot. And yeah. A lot of it's like, what is my life for? And, mm. and a lot of it is uh, if I could have, if I, let's see, if I could have been what I could have been, I could have been something. Wow. That's a song they all sing. Wow. Which is pretty amazing. Everyone's dissatisfied, but everyone has moments of fulfillment too. It's hmm. a very, very powerful musical, I think. I'm pitching you right now. <laughs> okay. I would say that Meredith Burke should, should direct this. <laughs> if anybody out there is listening right now, give the rights to Meredith She seems to have a handle on how it would work. So. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that idea she had about the doorman. That was the best oh, part. Really. That amazing. That the was... doorman, okay. <laughs> the elevator operator, come I give on, that man. To you. I give that to you. Can I give the, you the, the homeless person out front? Who's you can use that doorman thing. I'm, I'm <laughs> signing that over to you. Okay, thank you. Thank you. When I see the movie, I would just smile bigger than Special thanks. Smile bigger than everyone else in the room. <laughs> You're like, I want to play the doorman. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is next for you? What are you thinking about? Um, next for me is uh, I'm meeting with uh, a few different producers about uh, again some more thriller ideas mm-hmm. that could be feature. I'm uh, in the middle of pitching a television show with uh, with a producer to um, studios, and I'm very excited about that. Um, uh, when Lana Steele was. In, an awesome experience of basically being able to show run a series on a smaller level, like a practice sandbox. And I would love to graduate to doing a, a full on real TV series. Where'd you get the most attention? Did, did, did people reach out to you most from Lana Steele or from dementia? Oh, that's a good question. Well, um, I got, uh, I've got reactions to both, but from different producers. Like there's basically a whole world of digital minded producers like uh, Awesomeness TV. And I had a meeting at Sam Raimi's company because they're like, Oh, we have a horror idea for digital. Do you think you could show run it? And I was like, I could do that tomorrow. <laughs> Very nice. and, and then at the same time, you know, going in for the, the, the more traditional feature film companies. Um, and I have a few specs with the more traditional feature film companies that take so much longer you know, to kind of develop and happen to send out to a director or send out to a financier. Um, and the digital world is basically like, okay, if we have an opening in June, can you do it? That's great. <laughs> so yeah, it's nice. It's kind great. of like the long-term goals and the short-term goals kind of at the same time. That's exciting for you. And then also, every so often, I, I do act <laughs> again. And Which I'm makes in sense. A- <laughs> Look at her. She's really pretty. Yeah. Oh, right? Thank you. Not that you have to be pretty to be actor. You want to talk? When do you think? The, when, when do you think the? Uh, I'm very nice looking and too. Yes, and Pat. <laughs> let's let's. When do you think the, Pat is when very you, handsome? When do you think the money will start level, leveling out? Where where it's like uh, just as lucrative to do digital as it is to do a feature film? Do you think that'll ever? There's actually come a huge. Not controversy, but there's a lot of tension right now mm-hmm. in the digital world because um, I think there's there was a recent convention where um, a company uh, took the mic and said, "What needs to happen now is that clients need to realize that they're getting more hits, um, more clicks off of these than they are after traditional commercials, and they need to start paying for digital series like they are commercials." Yeah. Mm-hmm. which is a huge difference because I believe Lana Steele was made for like a hundred thousand dollars, all 12 episodes total and commercials get millions. Um, the clients did not like hearing that. And there was like some tension Mm -hmm. at the convention, but, um, at the end of every Lana Steele episode, uh, Lily Singh would pop up and say, thanks for watching my episode. If you like my mascara, you can get it from Mac here. Click this link. If you like my lipstick, you can get it from Estee Lauder. Click this link. That's yeah, immediate, I, yeah, right? Yes, and, and all those your, teenage girls are doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we, this uh, this girl, because I thought her makeup was awesome, I'm yeah. going to go back in it. And when you, <laughs> yeah, you, you watch a TV show, you can't click on your TV screen and go you right can't. to the yep, place. It's, it's and, not and, as good. And you're probably fast forwarding through the commercials. Through the commercials, exactly. Like oh. that's why digital um, series where you have the the branded content in it. Yeah, you're not going to fast forward it because you're watching the show. It's part of it. And uh, something like Lana Steele. 
Um, I mean, there's things where they try and hide it and then there's things where that's what it's all about. Makeover videos are very popular in general. So every episode she does do a makeover. She says for my eyes to look like they will be, you know, younger or they'll be more goth or they'll be whatever they're going to be. I use this mascara just in the side that, you know, (laughs) and so everything kind of like story wise kind of stops and she gives you a tutorial on how she's going to get the bad guys by doing this with her lipstick. (laughs) I I wonder why that works. (laughs) I wonder why networks haven't figured out that, you know, you watch an episode of Modern Family, why don't we watch that commercial free, but have the -hmm. products within it, within it. I think that's smarter in some ways. It's weird because I think, you know, then we go back to like the the golden age of like 1950s Mm -hmm. television, Mm -hmm. which did that. Mm -hmm. And well, I don't mean have the, I don't mean have the actors. Serial is amazing. Right. Right. It would be, you'd have to be very creative and it'd have to be subtle. So as not to take you out of the episode. Well, like one thing I think, you know, they do do this sometimes with cars, like walking dead, you know, Mm -hmm. they have certain model cars, Mm -hmm. um, 24, they used to have like they would have sometimes episodes that were commercial free, brought to you by mm-hmm. I don't remember what it was Nissan Cadillac or something or like that, yeah. Cadillac, yeah. and that was like the car he would always drive. You'd right. make sure that they they would show the decal, you know, whatever, yeah. and the, before he what drove. What do they call that when they just show the? Uh, the, the uh, there's a there's a term for yeah. that when like they just product show, placement. Yeah, thank you. Yes. Yeah, but there's a term when you show when you show like a close up of like the car logo or something. I, I can't can't remember it. If anyone knows oh specifically, it, yeah, email, email Pilar if you know it's what that means. Being shameless, something like that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, sometimes it's pretty pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But there is a but there's one, a technical term for it. I think we're more I forgiving in, in online. I think I think, so. I think because because we we understand that if we click on certain products, they're going right. to take us to this. We tick we we click on this, it'll take us to products. Like that's become yeah. the norm. I think that if you did that on right. TV, I know as a viewer for TV mm. who loves to feel like completely in it, mm-hmm. I would be. I would be upset. You well, think it was distracting, right? Uh, uh, on a recent episode of uh, Modern Family, they're eating breakfast, and the cereal was just—it was like some generic, like wasn't even like a real brand. And I'm like, well, if that well, so that took you if, out of it in a way. That took me out of it. But if it was just like a box of Cheerios, I would yeah wouldn't have thought a thing about it. Well, they and always would have use gone uh, to get some Cheerios. Yeah, they maybe. always use Mac laptops. And then sometimes do Mac like FaceTime. They'll, mm-hmm. they'll, there was that one yeah. FaceTime episode. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Where it was it, basically it was a, a big Mac commercial. It was. And then they found out that they had left the camera on, and that's yeah. why they were why her beauty uh, vlog was so popular because she had just left the camera on. <laughs> right. Which is which is like while she was changing clothes. Right. Stuff, right. I'm like so paranoid about that. As I know, right? Somebody who skypes all the time for a yeah. while. Oh, I I'm had, scared like, of it being turned on, and I don't know it. Yet. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And for a while, I had like one of these little um, buttons over the camera like a little just, sticker like over a little the, sticker like but right. then I went to yes. I went to like yeah. Skype with a client and I forgot it was on and She's I'm like, like I can't see I you, can't see you. No, I can't, something's going on Pat no, they couldn't something's see you. going on right check yeah. your video link yes. they couldn't see you because so your rid- camera thing it was, was so ridiculous I'm like it's broken it was yeah, like, no. that was an episode of I Love Lucy yeah my whole <laughs> life is an episode of I Love Lucy no but I've done that I've you know put the thing I'm, but your phones also will listen to you and different things Or there was that Samsung TV I think recently where they sent everyone a note saying, just so you know, our TV, this new TV does pick up on conversations. So just be careful what you say around it. It's like, wait, the solution what? is that we need to not say what we want oh around the TV. Oh my God. How is that a solution? Wow. And you know, we just send it over to the government, but don't worry about yeah, don't it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> don't worry. It's just for our files. Exactly. Um, I'm going to uh, tell everybody to go check out Dementia on... Uh, iTunes, Amazon, and On Demand. Mm-hmm. Um, where did we find it last night? We went to Amazon, right? Oh, we went to Amazon and purchased it. Yeah, yeah. like, like uh, that. Rented it. Yeah, it was, I, yeah, I love Amazon for for that. Yeah, that's very. This scary. episode is brought to you by Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> no, the interface is really, on the Amazon. The link. interface is really good on Amazon. You it is. I use it. Purchase and, and there it is. It's, it's my preferred. Looks thing. great. It doesn't. It never <laughs> rebuffers. At least it doesn't for me. It always yeah. seems to play pretty well. You hear that, Amazon? Yeah. Throw, throw yeah. some throw some money on the page this way. Here we go. Exactly. Um, also check out Lana Steele Makeup Spy for Estee Lauder Co- Cosmetics. Where sh- they just go they to have their YouTube? own YouTube channel. So if you just put in Lana Steele, it'll it'll find it pretty easily. Excellent. And there's a I think there's like a channel that has all the episodes in order. I think. Do you have a, a website that you want people to go to or? Um, I just use um, Meredithberg.com. Okay, Meredithberg.com. Check it out. Do you tweet? I'm terrible about tweeting. I'm kind of confused by Twitter. I can never tell 
Who's responding and who? What's the original? I can't figure don't it out. Don't ask me. I have no idea. I, follow I don't know three what's people. wrong with me. I yeah. can't do it. <laughs> I follow three people. One of them sitting here. Actually, <laughs> actually, two of them are sitting here. And I actually tell her all my tweets anyway, so she doesn't even have to follow me. I'll I say. am on Twitter as Mayorberg, but I, right. I mean, it's okay. not very exciting. At Mayorberg, M E R B E R G, M E R E B E R G, M E R E B E R G. Okay, cool. Should, yeah, say that whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, if you if you want to follow Pat, who is a Twitter, 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 Pat underscore Francis. Or if you want to follow my podcast, it's rock solid at at rock solid show. And I follow both of them. You do. And Sarah. And that's (laughs) That's it. it. That's it. We're going to do another rock solid crossover episode. Yeah. 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 We're going to do a, so we did that rock solid mashup that was really, really fun. Mm -hmm. But we also, um, I mentioned this in another podcast, but I want to mention it again so we can get some more submissions. We're going to do a rock solid on the page mashup with Pat producing where you, we would love your log lines and then let us know what song absolutely positively would have to be played, uh, in this movie or TV show. What song, forget about rights. What song, if you had all the money in the world, you know, what would be the song? And then Pat will play it. We'll talk a little bit about it. And I'll also talk about the log line and, and, uh, we'll talk about what all that's bringing up. And I would say in, um, pardon me, I would say in May uh, of this year, go see The Nice Guys. I have a little scene in it with Ryan Gosling. Oh, with Ryan Gosling? Where I call him a very bad word. Pretty cool. (gasps) Is he naked? He's not naked in that scene. Damn it. (laughs) And I have a big gas mask on my face, but you can still basically see me. (laughs) That's awesome. The Nice Guys. Yeah. Okay. I got to call him a bad word many, many times. Nice. That's great. At a certain point, he said, I feel like you really hate me. <laughs> who's his co- you must who's be a very the, good who's actor. Who's the co-star in The Nice Guys? Russell Crowe. Yes, that's, that, I saw the trailer for that. It's going to be... It's funny. It's going to be really big. It's really funny. Yeah. Awesome. Really? Yeah. I don't know how you have the time. That's, that's great. All right. We'll check I that out. One more plug. Too. Oh, one more plug. Uh, February 17th, if you live in the Los Angeles area, uh, Rock Solid will be doing a live podcast taping at the Improv Lab on Hollywood Boulevard. And it'll be a tribute to David Bowie. And I'll be there. Uh, you'll be there in the audience. I'll so. be there in the audience because it's also Pat's birthday. So, so it's close to my birthday. Yeah. So we'll be. <laughs> and, and it's and we're recording during happy hour. So come down and, so. and have a drink with Pilar. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, yeah, I better be on good behavior. <laughs> you know me and, and just, happy just hour. Eat, like booze and a mic. Just eat something. <laughs> eat first. something. Okay, Please, I'll tiny, try and remember tiny this. Tiny body, eat something. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, uh, just little plugs for on the page. Go to onthepage.tv and find out about the live class and also the recorded classes here. Um, if you would, if you are Amazon and you would like to contribute something, um, or even if you're not Amazon and you'd like to contribute something, um, there is a donation page for the On The Page uh, podcast. You can check that out. Um, also check out the recorded classes. Go to online. If you're in LA... There is a, um, oh, and even if you're not in LA, go, we have the two day rewrite class in March, March 19th and 20th. And this gives you lots of time to plan. We got a really cute hotel nearby. Um, so we'd love to have you here. It's for two days, intense rewrite and just, just sort of like advanced writing tools in general. So you don't necessarily have to be fully rewriting something. You can come in with as little as an outline. March 19th and 20th. So I'd love to see you there. <sighs> That's it. There you go. End of plugs. All right. What kind of week should we have? Oh, that's right. Um, I want to thank Meredith Burke for being on the show. You're fantastic. (laughs) Thank you guys for having me. Thanks to Pat Francis for producing. Mm -hmm. Thanks to all of you for listening. And have a good writing week. 